you need to be fair with everybody. You need to give everybody a chance. It's not to say let let people walk over you or, you know, but like not everybody is a part of, of this and they, you know, they need to be treated with respect and, and dignity and, and be given a fair shot. You know, if they, if they wrong you, then it, you need to question whether or not that, you know, ultimately you want to be friends with them or you want them in your sphere of influence. But until that time, like you give everybody a fair shot. And, and that's, that's an important lesson. Hello, my friends. I'm your host, Victor Rampadrat. Welcome to the show where we share the lived experiences of ordinary people just like you. We're amplifying your voice to provide a different perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our goal is simple. Humanize DEI so we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of having Darren Magaro on the show. He's the founder and CEO of DSM, a full-service marketing agency and one of Inc. 5000's fastest-growing companies in America, two years running. Cool story about Darren. Him and I have never met in person, but I would call him a friend. What started as a cold outreach at my last startup on LinkedIn has turned into what he calls a bromance. It's rare you meet people as kind and generous as Darren, but here we are. Welcome to the show, D. How's it going today? Thanks, pal. Um, it's going, man. I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, talk to your audience. I appreciate all the kudos. I do come with, with many pitfalls and need to keep working at getting better. So I appreciate the kudos. I gotta, I gotta have you talk to my kids and so they can think all these awesome things. They just think I'm grumpy dad, but, um, but yeah, it's all good. I appreciate the opportunity. It's great to, great to see you. I'll be, it'll be great to actually meet in person one day. That'll be super cool. Um, cause this will be the longest running bromance in the history of bromances that yeah, actually haven't been together in one place. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, happy to be here and, uh, hope all is well up in Canada. Absolutely, man. And I think, you know, it's it's so true with regards to what's happening with COVID and, and not being able to just say, hey, man, like this is a cool person. Let's go grab, uh, you know, actually one of the openings I was going to go with is a, an Italian guy and a brown guy walk into a bar. And I was like, that's actually not a joke. It's going to be real life when I meet this guy in person. And it's just going to be a good time. But, you know, there's definitely intersectionality between who you are at work, you know, being a dad of three, being a husband, you know, you coach football, you do all kinds of, I, I don't even know how you do it. And then on top of that run, awesome agency out of New Jersey, that's very well recognized. You've got people calling you from London, England that you've never met saying, Hey, we need to talk to you and do business. And you're like, that's the kind of person you are. And that's how your name gets around. And I'm just, like I said, honored to call you a friend. But tell me a little bit about sort of the upbringing. You know, you're uh, Italian-American. You grew up in New Jersey. Tell me a little bit about that experience of what it was like growing up in New Jersey. I know we talk a lot about the Sandlot days, and, and that's kind of how um, your upbringing was. So tell me about that. <laughs> um, so my both of my great-grandparents immigrated from Italy, from Sicily. Um, back in the early 1900s to New York and you know, Ellis Island and ultimately settled in New Jersey. 
and it's it's very interesting and this one point actually ties into what you were saying about the first part so the first part about the agency and everything you know how i do it and when i say how we do it you'll know why i mean what i say it's the people that are there everybody knows their role everybody does their job really well everybody's passionate about what they do um people are happy to get involved in other parts of it but when we're all sort of driving the bus and staying in our lanes and doing what we do and doing it well um that's where sort of the magic happens i guess for lack of a better word i know it's sort of cliche honestly my parents grew up one parent grew up in a very sort of italian polish town uh in northern new jersey the other grew up in an italian polish town in northern new jersey so it was a lot of a lot of immigrants uh, there um, came up through the ranks. My mom was my dad's second marriage, so he was 50 when they had me. Um, and they moved out of there, although it was an awesome community. Like I used to love going, it's a town called Garfield um, and Lodi. They were right next to each other. Uh, a lot of the same people, a lot of people married one another. So a lot of people sort of moved north into the suburbs and when i was almost three my parents moved to a town called wyckoff new jersey and when i got there uh wyckoff and midland park and ridgewood and the surrounding communities were very dutch um they, like original dutch settlers from you know like the mayflower time and uh and it was a culture shock man the first time i had oshkoshes put on me like overalls i was like i ain't wearing these things i don't know i I can't like this. Um, it was very strange. And, and, you know, you and I have had conversations about sort of like be inclusiveness and, and, you know, making sure everybody feels welcome. And when I was a kid, not that it wasn't that I felt that I didn't feel welcome, but being an Italian in a predominantly Dutch community, it was extremely eye opening, I guess, so to speak. Um, I was lucky in that I was, I was a pretty big kid, both on a, the tall side and the portly side. So I never really had issues getting like knocked around or anything like that. I could hold my own, but yeah, growing up in a, in a predominantly Dutch community, um, it's actually funny because a lot of us, as we grew up, we said we were all going to move out. Everybody moved out after college and now guess what? Everybody's back. Everybody realized how good we had it. <laughs> And, and yeah. it's, it's crazy. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the people that we see at games or, you know, my son Luca plays football and baseball. A lot of the people we see at games, even from surrounding towns, they're people we grew up with and went to high school with. So it was eye opening, but ultimately it was something that, you know, we came back. We'll never leave because of Samantha's family business. Um, you know, they're based in, in New Jersey. Um, but yeah. It was it was an eye opener as a kid. Um, I was different. I was, Definitely. as you can see, I was a little darker than most of the the people there. Um, but everybody was super inclusive, and and my parents loved it. And my mom still lives in Wyckoff today. That's amazing. And I think you know, as we evolve, I you know, even growing up where I grew up, it was like I can't wait to move out of here. But then you start to realize, like, it was almost like simpler times, right? Where where people just. You know, we talk about the Sandlot a lot, like you just a ragtag team of people getting together, playing street hockey or baseball and just 
enjoying life and then you get into you know uh the the workaday world and and things become a little bit more complicated sometimes right and i mean even through high school and college and all this type of stuff so i mean as you sort of progressed i mean i i know that uh you jumped into the agency world at a pretty young age working in the big old you know bright city of new york city and and tell me a little bit about what that was like getting your your teeth cut in the agency world in new york city uh it happened by mistake um i literally couldn't get a job i was a history major um it it honestly was i mean all these years later when you think about it i graduated 22 years ago this month uh from lehigh uh, university in, in bethlehem pennsylvania I was a history major. I was one of like 50 history majors out of 4,000 kids. Obviously, Lehigh is known for engineering um, and their business school. And I did what I had to do. My mom, you know, busted her hump to, she worked three jobs to keep me through, you know, get me through college. And uh, I got an amazing opportunity to transfer there. Um, When I was 18, six weeks into my freshman year, I started at the University of New Hampshire. My dad passed away. So I, my mom literally forced me to go back up to new, like five hours away, finish up my freshman year. She was home all alone. Uh, I came back and, you know, sort of tying in where, where Kenny came into my life after my dad died, you know, Kenny Sullivan took me under his wing. I mean, he was my second father. He, he said, when I, when I decided I'll never forget it coming home my, my sophomore year, I said, I'm not going to go back up to New Hampshire. Um, I'm going to stay down here. And he's like, yeah, yeah, great. I'll get you a job. Uh, you, you know, you're going to be a union laborer. You're going to be working uh, in high rises in Manhattan. You're going to be working your butt off at 19 years old. And I was bankrolling, dude. I was making so much money. I didn't even know what to do with it. And I was living at home still. What he didn't tell me was that I was going to be hanging from rafters 18 feet in the air, 12 hours a day, putting up fire retardant. And every day I felt like my back was broken when I got done. So that was like September of 96. And basically that second semester, uh, January of 97, um, we would go out to dinner once a month and he would check in. The first month I was like, this is the best thing ever. Second month I was like, wow, this is an eye opener. And third month by November, I'll never forget it. Um, we went out to dinner and I said, um, and he goes, so what are you thinking? What are you going to do next semester? I was like, I've already enrolled in Rampo College. And he's like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And the rest is history. Um, but getting into the agency world, it was all by mistake. It was all, um, I had a friend who, Suzanne Matarazzo, who graduated a year ahead of me. She goes, why don't you come in for an interview uh, to be a media buyer? And I was like, I don't know what that is. She goes, just come in. And, uh, and the rest is history. Started, got the job. Uh, didn't didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know how I was doing it. Uh, put my head down. Eight months later, um, just you know, eight 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 or nine months later, worked my way up from junior buyer to buyer, and the rest is history. And then I left to go to you know homage the series that I did over to Zenith Media. That was really the big jump for me. Um, going to Zenith, working there, working my way up from a buyer to a buying director. Uh, on accounts like Toyota and Verizon Wireless and Jim Beam and Puma and the rest is history. And it, but it was awesome while I was wow. there. I mean, back back in the day, you know, in the early 2000s, um, the world was a very different place. You know, we had 
You go to any game you want. We would be at MSG. We'd be at Yankee Stadium, going out to lunches, going out to dinners. Very different time. Um, but it was awesome. And I also got, uh, I don't know if I told you this story, but the first presentation that I ever did uh, when Scion launched was with this the current CEO, uh, Jim Farley of Ford Motors. He's now the CEO of Ford. And that was the first presentation no. that I ever did. He was like a brand manager for Scion when it launched back in the early 2000s. And I was, I'll never forget it. I was freaking out. I didn't sleep that night. And uh, it turns out that he, it was crazy, but it was the best thing that ever, you know, my old boss, Ava, she's like, you're going to present, you're going to do this. You're going to do, you're going to do great. And, uh, I got up there and I was probably sweating through my shirt and shaking, but I got up and did it. And, uh, I'll never forget that opportunity. And it kind of launched me to where I am today, I guess. I think that's that's a great point because you know, like even for yourself and the CEO of Ford, you both were nowhere near where you are today, and very few people give themselves a long enough timeline to look at life. Everything that happens today is either the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. But when you look at things over a long enough timeline, I think you know for the most part, people end up in a better position. And it's you know we've talked a lot about this is about being grateful for the opportunities that we have and to to do the work and and put in the effort to get to where we want because we truly and ultimately control our destiny. One of the things that I wasn't planning to talk about, but I think it's it's something I'm going to throw at you and if you don't feel comfortable that's fine, but uh you know, you worked in New York City uh, and we're coming upon um the 20th anniversary of 9/11. And were you actually in New York City when the planes hit the towers? Craziest day of my life. Um, my, <laughs> Me and my buddy actually worked for two different departments in the same company, a guy that I grew up with, this, this guy, Jamie Stanley, got to work and very lucky. I actually just talked to his brother-in-law yesterday because France was playing Portugal, his brother's French, so we were, we were going off about the game. Um, got to the city, yep. got to my office, and my office was up in Midtown. It was on like 52nd and 8th, I think. So I wasn't by the building. So I like, I got in the office. I had a routine. Like I get in, I, you know, put my stuff down, go grab a cup of coffee and no, no lights are on. Nobody's around. Everybody's in the conference room and the TVs are on. And I'm like, I'm walking by. And I'm like, what's well, like, that never happened. And I'm a 22 year old kid. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? And I will never forget that day. One, the story of walking down Fifth. There were literally no cars on the road. Like I, wa I literally walked clear to my friend's sister and brother-in-law, his brother-in-law's apartment, clear down Fifth Ave, down the middle, no cars. That was one thing. Getting out. Now all of our parents are freaking out because they can't get in touch with us. Cell phone service was not like non-existent at that point because everybody was trying to get a hold of people. They opened the Lincoln that we walked. We were going to walk from like lower west side up to the GW cross. And then I, you know, I had called my mom and she was going to pick, pick us up by car. We got to the tunnel. We walked to the tunnel. They opened it for like 20 minutes. So we jumped in a car with some dude that we were like, just get us through the tunnel and get us through the other side where like the turnpike, like the New Jersey turnpike and, and 495 split. 
he was going south. He was like driving to Florida or something. He left us off with a woman who got a flat tire who was visiting her son, who was making a trip from like Massachusetts down to like North Carolina. And we said, if we change your tire, can you take us to the Vince Lombardi rest stop? Change your tire. She took us to the rest stop and that's where his car was parked. That's It was like a parking ride. And that's how we, we ended up getting home. It was the craziest day ever. Um, I've never had the only time I think my mom hugged me tighter was when I got, when my cousin Joe drove, drove me home from Newark airport after my dad died. She like literally tackled me. If you wonder where I get my, my tackling skills from for football, it was from my mom. She, it was, it was the craziest day. It was just so bizarre. And then going back in, we didn't go in for like three days and a week later, where we're where Wyckoff is, it's up on a hill, and you could literally see the New York City skyline, and the and there were just smoke plumes for like two weeks. Every day you went in, every day you were like fearful to go in. It was it was crazy. Um, yeah, that was one of the craziest That's days of my life. Not even being able to be safe, right? I mean, I I remember um, it's so, it's so surreal because. I also remember walking into school. So I was a little bit younger than you. I walked into to class and I was always late. So obviously walking in late and there's a, the group of, of students with the teacher around the TV. And I was like, oh, cool. We're watching a movie today. And then I realized that we're not watching a movie. We're watching real life. and We're watching this incident take place. That was just, I, I didn't even know how to explain it. And I have family in New York and uh, my cousin's husband actually was in the trade center minutes before the plane hit and had left. And uh, he was walking across the bridge. And I remember seeing, you know, pictures of this. And it just struck me because it also became a time where there was a lot of Islamophobia, right? Like a lot of people were against people of color. And I remember... Um, my family members saying like they felt very disadvantaged walking through New York City uh, in that day as well as some of the days afterwards, right? So it's just wild. Like, did you ever see or notice any of that, even though you may not have been victim to it? But did you ever witness that stuff? Not witness to it, but it was definitely prevalent and it took a lot. The thing that I think was so hard for Americans because it, it was, there was a duplicity to this. So never in the country, if you watch, you know, I remember the Yankees being in the world series and George Bush throwing out the first pitch. And like, there was this, we've had this conversation so many times, like the United States, there's this sort of like, it's, it's a different sort of melting pot than up in, up in Canada. So you, it never was there a time when you were like proud to be an American, but I, but I think that there was this underlying current of like every, you know, Muslim person is a part of this. And it, and it, it was very hard because I think that coming through because of our own vulnerabilities and how it all happened, like, you know, these these terrorists getting onto a plane and nobody knew and they like, they melted right in with everybody. And it was, it was just kind of like very, it was being scared out of being vulnerable 
And that's where I think it was um, projected in the wrong way to like every, you know, Muslim citizen, Muslim American citizen, which isn't the case. You know, I mean, we know that and it, but no. it, but it, it, it took time to kind of get over that. You know, I, I, to, to my own sort of heritage, I go back to like the early, like late 1800s, early 1900s, around like the time of like gangs in New York, when the natives, I don't know if you remember that movie with like, um, with like, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and, and, uh, but Italians and Irish were also kind of like projected in the same way. Like they're taking jobs from the natives, the people that have been here. And, you know, those, those prejudices kind of like scaled on into, into, into the future. You know, I can remember it, it, it and it's hard to kind of like, cause at, at, with, with me and with Samantha, with our kids, like everybody should be treated fairly. Everybody should be treated with respect and courtesy, just like we expect it from other people who are talking to us. And, you know, with a 12, a 10 and a six, it's not really for Tessa as a six year old. Cause like, everybody's like, you know, a unicorn pooping rainbows at, at that, at that age. Um, but with the two older ones, it's, you know, it's getting to a point, especially, um, with Olivia at 12, where it's like, they notice these things and it's trying to make sure that you're like, you need to be fair with everybody. You need to give everybody a chance. It's not to say, let, let people walk over you or, you know, but like, not everybody is a part of, of this and they, you know, they need to be treated with respect and, and dignity and, and be given a fair shot. You know, if they, if they wrong you, then it, you need to question whether or not that, you know, ultimately you want to be friends with them or you want them in your sphere of influence. But until that time, like you give everybody a fair shot and, and that's, that's an important lesson. I love that. And we've talked a lot about that. And I, I actually, you know, as you, as you know, and, and the audience will, will get to know is that I have a young daughter and I, I always look up to you with the way that you raise your children, because you truly uh, value and try to understand how to show people respect. And that's why I talk about you being a great human being, because, you know, I remember once again, just this cold outreach and, we had started out with saying, hey, listen, you know what? We're going to give you, I don't remember what it was, a Starbucks gift card. I think it was like $25 Starbucks gift card for having this conversation. And out of the conversations we had, you were the only person who said, I don't know. I don't need it. Give it to someone else who who could benefit from it. Give it to your local food bank. Do, do something good with it. And I was just like, here's someone who actually cares about the world, who is not out it for himself but is really looking to do something good for other people. Where does that come from? Where does it come from? It comes from, it comes from my family and it comes from having great people around me, like a Kenny Sullivan, like my mother-in-law, uh, another friend of mine, Gary Caton, like all these people taught me, especially when I started DSM, like the first conversation I ever had was, you know, my mother-in-law being like, look, you gotta, if you're going to do it, do it the right way. And like, give back. Like the, the, my wife's family company over 115 or 116 years, however long they've been around, <clears throat> they've given more back to the community than like, I mean, I've ever seen. 
So there's a great example there. Uh, my mom, although my mom and my dad growing up, you know, my dad had his own business. My mom, you know, worked, we didn't have everything, but I never wanted for anything. Um, I went to summer camp. I, you know, we always had food. Trust me, we always had food. I was, like I said, I was, uh, I was a fat, I was a fat kid. Um, plump, but, plump. <laughs> yeah, plump. But I, you know, I did my thing until I got to the seventh grade and I grew a foot and then stopped growing. And now I'm, I'm replumping. Um, but it's having good people around you. The, the advice <clears throat> that I would give anybody in your audience that's young, um, or even older, like I still have people around me today that, you know, I count on for advice and, and I've been running a business for almost 15 years. Um, I still have the Gary Cadence of the world, you know, Kenny passed away last year, but those are the lessons that I impart. I'm like, I think we had this, I think it was with you. <clears throat> I'm going to be 45 in February and I'm getting to that point where it's like, I'm now at the cross section of my life. You know, I, I'll be 45 years here and hopefully God willing, I'll live to 90 and I'll get, get another 45 years. But it's like, what are you giving back? I've had so many people give to me and advice, um, you know, help, um, you know, helping me with the business, referring clients our way, whatever it may be. Like if I'm, uh, if I'm not giving that back, you know, a kid like Jack Lincoln or, or, you know, people that we run into, I, hopefully I'm going to see Casey on, on Saturday. He's going to drive up here. Um, you know, it's it just giving it back. Like it, it's, it doesn't come from anywhere. It comes from the people around you and it's what you do with it. You can choose to use it and pass it along and tell those people that you're working with, pass that along. Cause that's how we're going to make the world a better place. Or you can choose to sit on it and be a jerk and be selfish. I don't know about a jerk, but it's. I think it's that's selfish beautiful. not to. I think <laughs> selfish. I think it's selfish not to pass it along. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, I tell people all the time: no one's perfect, right? We're all people. We're humans becoming, right? We're we're evolving. We're getting better. Will we always say the right thing? No. Will we always do the right thing? No. But one thing I know about you is that here's a guy. I barely know, sitting on LinkedIn, crying, talking about what Kenny meant to him after finding out of his passing. And for me, that was one of the, probably the most interesting things to have observed from someone I respected who had the humility to talk about someone else, to have the humility as a man to cry in public and to share feelings. It's not something you come across every day. It tells me who you are as a person, as a human, you have feelings. Tell me about that moment when you found out that your mentor, the person who had poured into your life, had passed. Uh well, first, before I go into that, I want to say that I wasn't always like that and owning that um, first 10, 11 years of the company, um, even before that, it was very hard. Um, I grew up, like I said, in a Sicilian household. My my grandfather was not a cry. I saw him cry once in my life. Um, you know, when my grandmother passed away, it wasn't something that 
<laughs> the only time I cried growing up was when my mom would chase me with a wooden spoon around the backyard and she actually caught me. <laughs> so that, that, that was, uh, that wasn't always there. Um, it's only over the last few years, um, when you accumulate enough scars and you accumulate enough shrapnel, if you will, where you're able to just kind of let it go. And I've learned it's okay. You know, um, I've got two daughters and a son, um, and I try to impart on them that it's okay to feel, um, when I found out again, the circumstances that, you know, ultimately led to this, it was very, um, shocking, if you will, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, you know, it was kind of like a routine reversal surgery from a previous surgery. And then all of a sudden it was like, like I was texting with him on Friday and I get the text on Monday that he's gone. And it was like, I didn't get any info in between that. So, um, <clears throat> now that I'm sort of almost a year through it, um, I was actually texting with his daughter on father's day. Cause this is the first father's day that he wasn't there with them. And, and I just said, I'm like, look, you know, I mean, we, we were obviously down here, so I couldn't be there with her, but I just said, like, he's looking down. He's proud. There, there's nothing any of us could have done. Um, he did and, and and was a part of our lives, obviously a bigger part of Kim's life than, than mine, just because it was, it was her dad. But um, it was shocking, you know, and you're, when, you, when you're not expecting it and when you're just kind of like going through the day, yeah, again, it happened. I got the text at like a three o'clock in the afternoon. Like I was working, I mean, at, at, in the basement at home. Um, it's a great lesson in not taking any day for granted. You know, at the end of the day, we're not guaranteed a thing. Um, I wish I had more time with him. He did so much for me. And he, and he you know, it, the, the, he was really, you know, my, I, I wasn't mature enough to <clears throat> to really understand it when my dad died because I was an 18-year-old kid and I was obviously at a much different place in my life. And I've kind of come to peace with that, you know, 20-something years later. <clears throat> with Kenny, it was different because he actually got me through that time and he kind of got me through, like, the wedding, you know, like, the, the dating, the wedding, the the, the almost grandkids to him, it, like he was that surrogate, not only from a business sense, but also from a, um, in a personal sense. And, um, I haven't quite come to, to full grips with that. I think I will once, you know, due to COVID, we couldn't have, you know, a full wake and funeral form. So, you know, at some point we'll have a memorial service and I think I'll come to grips with it once that I guess it happens. Um, but it's, it's difficult and it, and it really was a good lesson in not taking anything for granted because you, you never know. Like I said, I mean, I was texting with him on Friday about, you know, him and Mrs. Sullivan coming back up from Florida, coming back to New Jersey and he had messed up his shoulder playing golf or something. And I was texting him about going to the doctor. Like he was like, who's your doctor for your, for your shoulder? Uh, for your rotator cuff. And I told him and, you know, and that was it.
That was the last text. And I've looked That's at it a, a thousand that times. Was... And you never get another opportunity. So uh, don't take it for granted. You and I have talked a lot about seizing the day and, and, and um, you know, making sure that we're doing our best to take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves to give back to people who, um, you know, pour into other people, you know, that's that's one really important thing that you and I both really resonate with. Do you think that it's because of, you know, Seb, who's your dad, and then Kenny, who is sort of that surrogate? Is that part of the reason why you choose to pour into so many people? Because you're always helping someone with either a kind <clears throat> word, some advice. You never ask for anything. You're always giving. Is Is that where you think some of that comes from, is to embody the people that have poured into you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kenny, whether it was getting me the job, you know, I, I mean, when I was in college or when I decided to, I wasn't going to go back to school or getting me an internship at Viacom when I was in school or the things that he did, you know, around, I mean, he had this amazing platform in, in this humongous company, Viacom, that was, he sort of got there at the the birth of MTV. So he really grew with the company back in the early eighties and the opportunities the, his career and what he did in his career, um, will speak for itself from at building at studios all over the world and office space. But it was the things that we talk about when we go to dinner that had nothing to do with, um, with work. You know, there was a school, uh, for underprivileged kids that they did like, you know, he invested heavily in with regards to like helping them with their programs and giving of himself. It was, it was those little things, you know, there was never a day that at least that I know of that if somebody asked him for something that he didn't give of himself freely. And I just try to embody that because if I look at the the, the span of life that I knew him from like 1980 through 2020. If you look at his life and ultimately where it got to him and the, the creed that he lived by, the guy was a legend. I mean, everybody you talk to was, you know, it wasn't about Kenny. Yeah, it was about Kenny's career and like what he did and how he did it and how he went about his business. But I mean, you asked my mom about, about Kenny and like all the things that he helped her with around the house when I was away and, you know, shoveling and, you know, fixing stuff or helping out or whatever it was. I mean, you, you, you would never think this guy was as successful as he was because he was, he was, he was an every, every, he was every man. And that's what people remembered him by. And that's what uh, hopefully I love know. that. Yeah. <clears throat> so. I absolutely love that. And, you know, it really, for me, thank you for sharing. I think that that's really important that the audience understands a little bit who Kenny is. And it almost tells me a little bit more about who Darren is, right? Because I think you embody many of those same qualities because when I met you, I didn't have any clue who you were. And all of a sudden, it's American Thanksgiving and there's a ring at the doorbell and there's cupcakes being delivered from a local cupcake shop 
from a guy by the name of Darren Magaro. And I'm like, it's not even like Canadians have different Thanksgiving than people in the US. And this was just something you did for people. And we, I mean, I've never had anyone really take the time to do that, especially someone I've never met. And it just made me realize that you truly embody that everyday person. And for this show, that's what I wanted. I didn't want the name recognition. I didn't want people to be like, oh, you had Tom Bilyeu or Gary Vaynerchuk or you've heard their stories. They've been told. I want to hear about the Kenny Sullivans and the Darren Magaros and all the guests that we're going to have on this show because I think it's important that as humans, we move through this world as good Samaritans, trying to do our best. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But we can all do better. We can all try to be better today than we were yesterday. Thousand percent. Right. And so that's amazing. Yeah. No, I was going to ask you about. I was going to ask you about homage. Uh, that was uh, that was birthed out of kind of like not not having closure with Kenny. Um, you know when I when I decide it was actually funny how it all came together. Cause it, you know, if K if we get, if I get to see Casey on, on, uh, on Saturday down, down here in Florida, he posted something again, it was somebody else taking the time. Hadn't seen Casey in 20 years. I don't know. Um, and he posted something about, uh, thank thankful Fridays or something that he was doing. And I'm like, all right, this is a sign. Like I got to reconnect with him, And I got, and I have to, I got to get this out of my head. Like I kept like, it, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't as good as it, you know, I, I don't know if it's done. I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if it, I should be as vulnerable as this. Um, and in true Darren fashion, I threw the grenade and that's what came out of it. Um, it was, it was a, um, you know, I started with my mom. I figured there was no better person than, than Lucille to start with. And it's on episode, like, it's going to be on episode 12. Um, <clears throat> and people ask me, it's interesting. People don't ask me about, like, the homage. They're like, this is awesome. Love the stories. Love the people. Blah, blah, blah. Love that you're vulnerable. But it's like, they were like, are you going to be able to get more people? Like, when, when uh, there's, like, thousands I could think of that I could have on this show. And they're like, well, what are you going to do with it? And I'm like, I'm just going to keep doing it. Like, just keep thanking people. Because I'm going to keep doing it, honestly, until I feel like I have fulfilled what I owe to Kenny. And that is, or my mom, or the people around me. And the more people I interview, the more people, and it could be people I've known for six months or that brought me into the world. Um, There's so many people in my life that I owe thanks to for little things. It could be big things. It could be, it could be little things. It could be, you know, um, everybody. It's the embodiment of realizing, having the realization that so many people have played a part in where I started to where I am now. Um, and it's just, a, a, you know, like there's no, 
agenda around it. It's me getting on and it honestly, it's therapeutic. It's like me being able to, it's me being able to put in front of, here it is. It's the validation to Kenny to say, I'm doing the things that you taught me and here are the people that have helped me get there. And so that's why I keep doing it. And again, it's, it could be my mom, it could be uh, Ava, it could be uh, my buddy Jamie, it could be Casey, it, it could be you, it could be my buddy Pat, it, it, it's everybody. All these people play different roles in my life and, um, and I just think it's important. If it, gets, if it gets other people to say thank you to people in their lives when they didn't realize it, like I'm, I'm taking what Kenny taught me and passing it on. So that's it. That's beautiful, man. That, that, that's really beautiful. And, and you know, what's interesting too, is when I thought about it and I was thinking about this show and, you know, we could have gone so many different directions because, you know, typically I don't know the people that are coming on here, but I know you and I know your story and we can dig into so many different things. But one of the cool things that also came out of this sort of you know, experience, if you will, in 2020 was six guys started getting together to talk about life, talk about work, talk about emotion and feelings. And it all started with you and I just, hey, man, do you want to have a conversation on a Friday and, and just chat? And then we started to bring other men into the circle to be like, hey, Here's someone, Darren, who's very vulnerable. I was starting to become vulnerable because I'm not a vulnerable person. I'm very much like your your dad where, you know, you wouldn't catch me crying. And it really started to make me realize what it is to be a man, especially a father of a young woman and what, what the importance of that is like. But tell me about sort of what you think that group of, of guys that we have that get together now once a month means to you? It means that we've all grown up. We've all matured enough to be able to talk about things that might not be easy. That might not, you know, you have guys in the group that are in all different phases of their life, all different ages, you know, newly married all the way through divorced and, you know, single dads and, you know, parents and guys with no kids. And uh, it, it, it's all about being open and honest and kind of like being vulnerable uh, and allowing yourself to be able to be, um, to be that, I don't know, not, not be a tough guy, not be, you know, like you, for you, it was a very big step to be able to, to do this given, you know, sort of your upbringing and where you came from. Um, just because you did that doesn't mean you can't change. Doesn't mean you can't be open to those things. Um, and it's not easy. It, it's most definitely not easy, but you know, we have a lot of laughs, few tears, a lot of conversations that you didn't think you were going to have. Um, and honestly, it just opens it up. I, I think, I think the definition of a really good sharing group 
is the fact that you're okay with knowing that you might not have the answers, but that you're willing to like open up and share it and be, you know, put yourself out there. Um, and if people have the answers, I mean, I know that I've gotten myriad times like, um, thought provoking ways of thinking about things that I didn't have prior to that conversation. And, um, and I think that's kind of what it's all about. The, the group of guys, um, again, there's out of the six, I still haven't met two of them. I haven't met Trent in person. I haven't met you in person. I know Joe, I know Drew and, and I Casey. know Casey now again. Um, but like these are, <clears throat> I think it's a great, um, menagerie sort of, so to speak of like different places in different parts of my life. And, um, and being able to share that, you know, with, with you guys and the opportunities that come out of it, the conversations that come out of it, the, whatever it is that comes out of it, that's what it is. There's no agenda. If you get on and you talk one month about cryptocurrency and you get on another week and talk about, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, like what's going on in, in the marketing world and another talking about being a single dad, like, I don't know about you guys, but, and I certainly, I'm not in everybody's shoes, but, and I don't have all the answers, but I know when I get on, it feels good to be able to have that time together and to, and to talk and just to like disconnect from the busyness of, of daily life. Absolutely. It's almost like uh, we've created our own ERG, like employee resource group, where we talk about things that matter. It's a safe space. You know, we yeah. can connect. And, you know, one thing that I've realized is that we are all far more alike than we are different, right? If mm -hmm. we really look at it when we start getting into sort of the conversations that we have and the way we think. And, you know, even though we are from different parts of the world, different backgrounds, different experiences no one's lived in any other person's shoes but we respect each other we uh, provide that space we value everyone's opinions and i think that that is something that is beautiful right and i think if mm -hmm. we can have more of that in the world and you know intersecting between what kenny has taught you what you've taught me and what i hope that i've brought value to the group that we have that it allows us all to become better humans to move through this world, right? So I got a question for you and it's, it's sort of the last question that I like to wrap up with is, mm -hmm. how do you think as uh, a society we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect? Hmm. Uh, listening more and talking less. Mm. That's that. a very good one. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how else to say it. Um, and I've certainly been guilty of this so many times. Um, part of my evolution in trying to be a better leader, be more open, be more vulnerable is to listen more and to talk less. You know, as a dude, I feel like we're taught that we always have to have the answer. We always have to, you know, lead the conversation. Like leaders don't always... <clears throat> like talk their way through, you know, the ultimate result or the best outcome. 
It's, it's kind of like, Hey, what are we, what are we doing and open it up. And again, I am by my own admission, I am still learning to do this. Um, but having good people around you talking less, listening more, you know, um, giving others the platform to ultimately solve, solve an issue, um, even if they might not have the experience, um, and then getting insights from there and, and talking through ultimately a result. I mean, that, that's how people feel empowered in my, you know, in my instance, that's how people feel empowered. Um, <clears throat> To, to feel like a part of a team, to feel like a part of a family, to feel like they belong. Um, there's nothing worse than feeling like you don't have input into a decision. Um, you know, the, to me, that would seem like the ultimate in um, not, not having a say. You know, whether you're home with your family or, you know, we just came off a trip from Disney and Tessa had her say, not that she has a problem with speaking up, but she had her say in parts of the trip that the rest of us were like, what are we doing here? But, you know, she went along with, with a lot of it that we, we didn't plan for her. So, um, it made life as a, as a parent you know, and as an adult, a little bit simpler to make her feel like she had a say in what was going on. And and I think that's important for whether you're a six-year-old little girl at Disney or, you know, an employee at a Fortune 50 company, you know, give me a little bit of say about how the outcomes are going to be. And I might not be right, but at least I feel like a part of the solution. I don't know. I love that. You know, your forward-thinking um, approach to business there, I always say success leaves clues. There's, there's no secret as to why DSM is growing as quickly as it is. Um, you have an awesome team. I've had an opportunity to meet some of the leadership. Um, I love that you have female leadership in place in the C-suite. It's just, it's, it's amazing, and I, I so look forward to seeing what your organization does in the years to come as digital, digital transformation becomes more and more of a thing. Uh, DSM uh, just does great work and you know they've got the list of clients to talk to that but I just I'm so impressed by where you're heading and it's I know because it's the leadership uh, the humility the vulnerability where can people find you Darren uh, our website is www.thedsmgroup.com you can find us on Twitter on LinkedIn on Facebook, on Instagram, um, I think we're on TikTok. That's Dan's domain, but I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I haven't ventured there yet. But, um, you know, all the usual suspects, you can find us. The team does a really good job um, with the marketing efforts. Uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously, and that's what makes us fun. Um, we have a good time doing what we're doing. I do want to say, and, and, and I mean this with the utmost sincerity to kind of like play off what you just said, the reason why we are, are doing the things that we're doing 
um, are squarely on the team. It's squarely on the team. Th this group of people, I've never met, a, and again, we're only 15 people. We're not the biggest agency in the world. Um, we, you know, grew from a front porch and a laptop to, to where we are today. The people from Zinka and Charlene all the way down to Meredith and Dan and Derek and, 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 and all the folks that are, you know, Matt and, 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 um, Caitlin and Morgan and like the Christine and the list goes on and on. Like all the folks that are at DSM, they are really good at what they do. And so that makes like life as a digital marketing agency easy. It's the things that they bring to the table when you're not looking, whether it, you know, the, the, what they're doing at home, how they want to participate. You know, we have some nonprofit clients, people, you know, Dan and, and his family going to participate in the walk or a corner, you know, we're in the throes of, of, you know, potentially working with a, with a, um, an architectural agency that, that is partnered with the United way and building houses for nonprofits. Um, you know, they had a cornhole tournament. Like we wanted to go ultimately I was down here. I couldn't go, but like, there are just things that they bring to the table as humans that amaze me. Like it, nothing is ever too big for them. Nobody's above anything. It, it's, it's just a group of people that like, I, I genuinely like love because they are who they are as a team. It makes it fun because we are who we are. We're not afraid to, to talk about it or we're not afraid to put it out there. We're not for everybody. And that's cool. Um, but they embrace it. And I think that sort of cumulative effort makes it easy for us to, to produce good work because they love what they do. And if you give them an environment that works for them, to be able to produce the best work, which is ultimately on myself, Sink and Charlene, to be able to give them an environment, good things happen. I don't think it's, you know, it's not and too, the, the, the equation's not that hard. You know, when you put good people in a good spot, they ultimately produce good stuff. That's beautiful. And, and that's leadership, right? And I think that, you know, for me, that's one reason I wanted to have you on this show because I see you as a leader, someone who is growing a fantastic agency, but also a human being, a father, um, uh, you know, a family member, a friend. And I think, you know, even a mentor, right, is, is what I would say as well. So, you know, I appreciate you coming on the show. And, and for the audience, there you have it, folks. The truth according to Darren. Have a good one. We'll talk to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening. Our show is sponsored by Discourse. We build belonging into the DNA of DEI. You can visit us on the web at discourseagency.com or check out our YouTube channel, Discourse Agency. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave a review, drop a comment, and most importantly, share it with a fellow human. Thank you so much for your support. And remember, your truth is your experience. Bye for now.